Hello, beautiful, and welcome to Finding Fertility. I'm your host, Monica Cox from FindingFertility.co, and I created this podcast to help get you to start thinking outside of the box and realize that your infertility might have nothing to do with your lady bits. Rooted in functional medicine and personal experience, Finding Fertility is all about looking at the whole body and finding the root cause of your infertility. Finding Fertility does not diagnose, prescribe, or treat any issues of infertility but what we do is take a holistic approach and improve your diet and your lifestyle to get you steps closer to creating your dream family just by being here with me listening to this podcast you're already going down the right path to making your dreams come true let's do this together happy friday all it is september 18th i hope you've had a beautiful week Thanks for tuning back in. Today we have a special guest. It is Dr. Nikki Cohen. Dr. Nikki is a doctor of physical therapy who has been specializing in women's health for the past 10 years. She is the owner of a successful private practice, the Organic PT, out of San Diego, my home town, country, state. (laughs) San Diego is a town, right? She offers women a holistic approach to healing through traditional and non-traditional methods. She believes that the woman's body has an infinite intelligence and the source of her power. She educates us and empowers us to reconnect with our bodies and take back our power. So without further ado, let's get to today's episode. Today we have Dr. Nikki on the podcast. I'm super excited to have her on because she is going to help us reclaim our vaginas because for a lot of us, especially going through fertility treatment, sometimes it doesn't even feel like our own anymore. So welcome to the podcast, Nikki. Thank you, Monica. I'm so happy to be here. Tell us a little bit about your story, because for a lot of our listeners, we are dealing with unexplained or autoimmune issues, and you have your own personal story with autoimmune issues. I do, yes. About six years ago, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, and by the time they had found it, it was in that severe category which was shocking to me. And they immediately put me on all sorts of medications and whatever, but it was the most life-altering experience to date of my life in my 40 years on this planet so far. Maybe like some of your other listeners, I felt as if my body was not my own. I felt as if my body was doing its own thing and I had absolutely no control over it. And through the process of experimenting with different other types of modalities and dabbling more into spirituality and energy work, it really allowed me to see that it wasn't that my body had a mind of its own, but my mind was completely disconnected from my body. I was doing things and living my life in a way that I thought was the right way to be. I was vegetarian at the time. I was doing yoga two or three times a week. I was meditating every day. I still got this disease. And I, w- I just threw my hands up and through several fits of tears and screams, I recognized that it, like I said, it wasn't that my body was betraying me. Those were the words that I used for years. It was that I was betraying my body. 
100% because infertility itself feels like your body just hates you. And it's very much so like that with autoimmune disease. So you're a doctor. So you obviously went through a lot of schooling. And you had this autoimmune disease during the schooling as well? No, it happened after. I received my doctorate in physical therapy. And that was, I think I graduated 05. And this didn't happen till 2014. So I had been a working professional, very properly trained by Western medicine (laughs) to deliver all of the physical therapy techniques for people. You know, again, I thought I was doing everything right. I was living the high life. I had a doctorate. I was working at Kaiser. I had a well-paying job, probably the most well-paying job in the world of physical therapy in America. I had all the benefits. Like it was, you know, on paper, it was perfect. Yeah. Did you feel sick? No. (laughs) (laughs) I, I felt great. I mean, I'd always had some history of digestive issues growing up, you know, little bouts of constipation and bloating and things like that, but nothing I'd ever write home about. I mean, and as a woman, you get a menstrual cycle. So a little bit of lower abdominal pain was not going to send me to the doctor. Yeah. But it wasn't until the pain, you know, the normal menstrual cycle pain, if you will, started. It was, it was, this was a new pain. It was not a period pain and it was not, oh, I haven't pooped in a few days pain. It was this new sharp stabbing, I can't move pain that went misdiagnosed for months and months because my main symptoms at the beginning of the Crohn's journey was in my vagina and in my pelvis. So I thought I have something wrong gynecologically. So I went to two different gynecologists and obstetricians and I was like, I feel like something is falling out of my vagina. (laughs) And I thought I had a prolapse. And they looked and they were like, you have no prolapse. Everything looks fine. And I was like, well, why does it feel like there's a brick inside of my body that I am carrying around with me everywhere. And they were like, I don't know. And then eventually after the third gynecologist, it was, well, maybe you need to see a psychologist. (laughs) And I was like, this is not in my head. And I am fully aware that there is a mind-body connection. But then I started to really think I was crazy. And I did go see a psychologist and I couldn't sit in the chair because it hurt so bad. And paced in her office and talked to her about how I can't focus at work because I have this pain in my vagina. And so she threw her hands up and basically told me I was crazy too. Not in those words, of course. I mean, very more professional than that. Yeah. I mean, I I don't, we are laughing now because we can, but for, for many of us, I mean, I've been in the same situation where I've been in an OBGYN's office. I told her about my theory of this autoimmune issue, how it was like affecting my fertility. And she basically, she laughed at me and told me that was made up science. And like, when you are dealing with that physical pain, that mental pain, that emotional pain and professionals who are there to guide you and help you. And we kind of have given them this godlike status are basically telling you that you're crazy. I feel like it compiles onto the issues you already have. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if the doctors we're trained that if the doctors can't find something either with their eyes or on the tests, then there's nothing there. Yeah. And what they actually teach in 
I don't, it might be different now because it's been almost 20 years since I've graduated, but what they even teach in physical therapy school is that those diagnostics, the blood work, the MRIs, the CT scans, and the x-rays are only about 85% accurate anyway. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And especially with blood work, it puts you into a huge range of what normal is. It doesn't take into account me. It just takes into account that I'm a 35-year-old female. That's it. That's it. And most of the people who are getting that blood work done are sick because they need it. So the ranges over the years have just been pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. And yeah, everyone's kind of normal. And then they come to see people like us and I'm like, whoa, your thyroid's crazy. They're like, oh, they say it's normal. It's like, it's not normal. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And And I had some markers in my blood work that were abnormal, but they were like, well, we'll just keep an eye on things. So, you know, to be more specific, as you probably know with an autoimmune condition, or wait, did you have autoimmune? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, The ANA count was really high on me. It was like really high. I'm trying to remember. I think it was in the thousands when it's supposed to be nothing. Um, But they were like, well, I don't know. We'll see. We'll just wait. And I was like, no, you don't understand. And, and over those months, the pain that was in my vagina started to move backwards into my rectum. And that was when it became severe. It felt like, not to get too graphic, but it felt like there were shards of glass within my butthole at all times. <laughs> every time I moved, every time I walked, and then whenever I would sit, it was like a scalpel was being jammed up there. Oh my so gosh. I had that in addition to this brick sensation and like this falling out sensation in my vagina. And I was like, nothing is showing up anywhere. Like, how is this possible? And then finally, thanks to my sister who talked me into going to the hospital because they hadn't ordered any MRIs or anything like that yet, because I don't know why. That was when they finally gave me some God saving meds. (laughs) And there is a place in in medicine for Western drugs. Let me tell you, they saved my life in that moment. And then they did a colonoscopy and an MRI. And that was when they, they saw it. And they were like, the doctor actually apologized. She was like, I'm so sorry, but your presentation was so not Crohn's disease. I had no blood in my stool. I had no diarrhea. I had nothing. In fact, I was pooping every day, twice a day, and everything was great. I had a normal menstrual cycle. like Everything was fine except for this unexplained pain. And so I think that was one of the reasons why I felt this huge disconnect between what I was doing right in my mind and what my body was actually communicating to me. And then that got reinforced and validated and supported by my godlike doctors, right? Of mm-hmm. all of that. And then finally, it was this very odd, ironic moment when they told me that I had Crohn's disease. And I almost felt, well, at first I was devastated because I had a cousin who had Crohn's disease and I saw what she went through and she's been, she's on her sixth abdominal surgery. And that was the norm for Crohn's. And I was like, oh my God, my life is doomed. And at the same time, I was like, see, I'm not crazy. (laughs) And I was almost kind of happy. Like a hundred percent. Yeah. Anyone dealing with unexplained infertility, once they get that, like, this is your issue, you're just like, you're so thankful. You're almost willing the test to come back abnormal. So you have something to focus on and fix and explain, explain that you are not crazy. 
Yes. Yeah, In fact, when I was creating my uh, private practice and physical therapy, I wanted that to be my tagline is you're not crazy. <laughs> because I wanted all those women to feel like they were heard and validated and they had a safe place to come. Yeah, 100%. Now, dealing with it over the six years, so you've obviously, you were already vegetarian, which when people hear the word vegetarian, they think health, like automatically. But in reality, you could be pretty unhealthy on a vegetarian diet. What... What's your thoughts on your your journey with food? Well, I am. I have tried every diet on the planet. I was normal, right? Grew up meat and potatoes family, whatever. No vegetables. Most of our fruit was in a, a dull fruit cup. Right. So I didn't have like the healthiest um, upbringing with regards to nutrition. But that was why I was taking the reins of my own health and decided to go vegetarian after watching some of those, you know, abhorring documentaries and all of that good stuff. Yeah. In my mind, I thought I was being super healthy. I wasn't eating sick, tortured animals. And I, you know, was doing this. But when I look back, I was like, I was drinking beer a lot. I was in my late twenties. I was eating a ton of cheese and grains and like still vegetables and real fruit this time, there is a place for animal product. I think that a person's diet or a woman's diet is kind of like unique to them. Like your body needs things that my body might not need because we have different bodies and different chemistries. And some people can't break dairy down very well, like me, mm-hmm. and which may have contributed to a lot of that. It can be very inflammatory. I also don't tolerate histamines very well. So all of the tomatoes and the eggplant and the zucchinis and the cashews that I was eating that were super healthy for me were probably contributing to the manifestation of the Crohn's. When in reality, had I eaten some chicken or some fish, I probably would have been healthier. I'm not saying I would have stayed off the, the illness but it allowed me to see my relationship with food and how what they say is healthy is not necessarily what my body needed at the microbiotic level to perform at its best. Exactly. And I think for people who get, you know, diagnosed with Crohn's later in life, because my husband's father actually got diagnosed at 70 with Crohn's. Wow. So he dealt with symptoms for a really, really long time. But I think like you, they were just kind of like, well, usually you're born with Crohn's, right? Like it's... that's now getting disproven, <laughs> but yes. um, the, the, the school of thought is like you're born with it where I think that's a really big problem with the fertility diet world is everyone has this opinion of like, this is the perfect fertility diet. And I'm sitting there going like, no, you have to find your inflammatory foods. I don't care what they are. You have to find those and eliminate them because just like you, I can't eat tomatoes. I can't eat aubergines. I can't eat paprika. And it wasn't like I was born that way. It was very similar to your story. I grew up on Pop-Tarts and Kellogg's Cornflakes <laughs> and Chef 4RD. And we didn't eat out at like McDonald's every day, but it was just that 70s, 80s generation where it was just easy, convenient, really shit, highly processed food. And even though it didn't look unhealthy for us, it was just like the catalyst for late onset autoimmune disease. And then you you put the 20s in there and party. Like, I can't even <laughs> tell you 
Like, I'm glad I just like dealt with infertility. Like, I'm glad I'm not dead or like have a severe case of cancer or, you know, (laughs) so yeah, it's really, it's harsh and it sucks when you find out you now have really done way too much damage to your body to even reintroduce because if we would have known this in our 20s, we could have maybe had a different path. Not that we would have listened. I probably would have told you to fuck off. <laughs> like, what yeah. do you mean? I can't eat a tomato and drink beer. That's ridiculous, you know? But yeah, you, we would definitely have a different journey of to where we are now if we would have just known the truth about food. And I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful for people like us. And I, I feel like the whole functional medicine side of science is getting out there. You know, like it's, it's breaking through. It might take another decade, but uh, <laughs> it's getting there. I, I agree with you. And I think that, yeah, I mean, people of our generation, we did grow up on convenience foods. I mean, a TV dinner was my meal, like my dinner for a couple nights a week. Um, And that was just, and, but that was accepted by society, you know, it was the norm. And so, you know, and, and, and it is what it is, right? And food, though, it is a huge piece, I believe, to the way your body works. It's really not, it's not the only way, you know, it's not the only thing. I mean, there's childhood stressors, of course, which we could probably talk about for thousands of hours more, which I did have, you know, some traumatic experiences as a child that I think primed my body Mm -hmm. to not be able to break down the food I was giving it and use it for all of its good. So things that maybe aren't inflammatory by science standards were inflammatory for me because of those reasons. You know, they're there really is that give and take and flow of your emotional status and how you view the world and how you view yourself and your body's ability to literally digest life and food and experiences and all of that. Yeah, I mean, that is a totally another episode, but I feel like that in the infertility world, people do get on these perfect diets for them. Like, like let's say they even eliminate 50% of their inflammatory foods, like the corn, the dairy, sugar, soy, the emotions. When it comes to it, you know, they, the whole community hates when they say like, stop stressing or just relax. And like stress doesn't cause infertility. And I'm sitting there going like, yeah, fucking does. <laughs> like you can have the perfect diet, but if you're not, you know, if you're still that, because I would say a large majority of people dealing with infertility and probably autoimmune issues too are type A, man. Like we have stressed the shit out of ourselves and always going and going and having to doing and just pushing ourselves, and that a hundred percent contributes to you know, that buildup of these big issues that we're having? 100%. 100%. I am one of those self-proclaimed type A people as well. And I realized that my lifestyle that I was living, that was this societally accepted way of being is, you know, very type A, right? The type A personality is the honored, revered, you know, go-getter person that gets Mm -hmm. all of this emotional support and validation from your peers of like, oh, wow, look at her. She never sleeps. Wow, look at her. She's just a machine. And when you get 
confirmation and validation and praise for those ways of being, you don't think there's anything wrong with it. And so to sit and stop and meditate for an hour a day is now like lazy. Like why on earth would you do that? Why, Mm -hmm. why are you going to, you know, it's, the, our mind is much more valued than our bodies actually in this you know, day and age and taking care of your body is seen as um, a privilege, right? Or it's self-care is selfish. I hear that yeah. all the time from the women I work with. And a lot of times when people struggle with infertility or autoimmune diseases, or basically anytime something isn't going the way you think it should go, it is an opportunity for us to stop and look and really get honest with ourselves about what is not working for me. And when I did that for myself, I realized that working in corporate healthcare was not working for me, Mm -hmm. even though I was making the bucks and I loved (laughs) making the bucks. It wasn't working. I was seeing eight to 10 people a day, back to back, five in the morning, lunch break, three or four in the afternoon, go home. And I found that the way I work, it, switching so quickly from, you know, this woman and then going and hurrying and charting a couple of notes and then switching gears and changing the sheets and going to see another woman and doing with her for 40 minutes and going back and doing some notes. And that constant day to day, five days a week was exhausting me, Mm -hmm. exhausting me. And when I would complain to my closest friends about it, you know, they would just be like, well, don't sweat the small stuff, Nick, you know, you've got a great job. And yeah. I, you know, for years I was like, you're right. I do have a great job. Why, why is this bothering me so much? But then it would end. I wouldn't allow myself that further investigation as to why is this bothering me so much? Why is this not feeling right? Yeah. And it was once I started to actually, well, it was really once the Crohn's hit and forced me to <laughs> stop and look because I literally couldn't walk. I, had, I couldn't go back to work. I went on state disability and I had all the time in the world then to lay in bed and go, what the hell? Something has to change and what is it? And that became a whole journey of, is it this? I don't know. Let's try it. Let's switch things up. And yeah, that helped a little, but I'm still getting flares. Okay. There's something else still that's not working. Mm -hmm. And through that process, I created, you know, a a different lifestyle, which is not the norm lifestyle, right? That socially accepted way of being, but it, it works for me. And I had to get okay with that. Yeah, I think that brings up a really good point is that, you know, with all the self help out there nowadays, I think people get frustrated because it just maybe doesn't click with them. And they're like, well, that doesn't work. And the point is that there's so many different ways to reconnect with yourself. You have to like almost try them all to find something that, you know, sits with you. Like some people don't like meditation. It doesn't do it for them. So you have to find a different way to, you know, slow down and reconnect and all those things. But it's about just keeping going, right? Like if you would have given up the first year of figuring out what you needed to do to be more holistic and manage your Crohn's, you'd probably be on medic, you know, a boatload of medication and unwell because you just think, well, it doesn't work. It didn't work in six months. So fuck it. Right. Absolutely. 
infertility is the same way. Like people get so frustrated. It's like, well, I'm not pregnant this month. It's like, yeah, but (laughs) that's 30 days. Like your body literally has had the last like 25 to 35 years of being hammered. You know, if you break your leg, it's not fixed once you put a cast on it. You know, you have weeks and months of recovery. Sometimes if it's a really bad break, you have years of recovery. And it really comes down to how much damage you've done to yourself either most of the time unknowingly and then giving your body that time and like you say it's people think you you like you've gone fucking nuts right like people still to this day are like what you don't eat tomatoes i was like yeah they don't fucking do like it's that's just i can't eat them and i think more people are coming out so it's like the norm like when i went gluten-free like people were really like oh you're just doing gluten-free it's the trend it's the no you know it's the cool thing to do now I'm like no my ass stinks when I eat gluten like do you like I could clear the like I'm a little five foot five girl and I could (laughs) fart like the drunken sailor you know like no it doesn't work for me (laughs) oh my gosh that's how I am with dairy (laughs) yeah right and it's just realizing that those things aren't normal like people think they're normal. It's like, no, they're not normal. Like having really severe pain, you know, even if it's just during your periods is not normal. That's not how the woman's body was created. And I know we had this little chat about the Egyptian time and this, this documentary that you watched. I would like you to like kind of explain that for everyone where they were very feminine and very like picture oriented. And then it kind of moved into this more masculine age and where I feel like hopefully we're at the end of this masculine age. I agree with you. I think we are towards the end of this masculine age where, and because of all of the current social, you know, status of things that are happening right now with, you know, we're questioning everything. And, but yeah, so back to that. So one of my passions in this ongoing journey of exploring myself and my, my autoimmunities and, and my womanhood really is in looking back into the history and seeing how things have evolved to be the way they are today. And when you look back towards the beginning of of mankind, maybe not quite like early homo sapien days. And I'm not a history buff. So like, if you're a historian listening to this, don't quote me on any of these numbers. But I want to say somewhere like 50,000 years ago, you know, humans were inhabiting the planet and everything was a very matriarchal woman-centered society. And you can, there are pictures that archaeologists have found like cave pictures and really primitive drawings of woman and a woman's body being revered. And it was because of her fertility. They compared her to mother nature, which is a very feminine, you know, nature is feminine and she is the mother. And because a woman could birth a human being and then nourish it with the milk from her breasts, the society was like, you are like a god. And so for thousands and thousands of years, the woman and her body was revered and worshipped. And it wasn't until it, like things started to change and no one really knows exactly why things started to change, but we did slowly move into more of a patriarchal versus a matriarchal society. And nature and the woman were no longer the source of worship it became more about knowledge and seeking and writing and reading, science, you know, linear ways of thought. And 
in doing so, the written word became the now worshipped thing. Knowledge and wisdom, actually not wisdom, knowledge and science became more important than age-old wisdom. And the written word became more important than the spoken word. And so you start to see this evolution of masculine and feminine qualities emerging as a separation and as a division. And we are still living in the aftershocks of that shift. And so that documentary that you were referring to, I forget the guy's name, but it was, I think it was called The Alphabet and the Goddess or something like that. And his philosophy is that it was when the written word became more available and people were going to school more and people were reading more that the linear way of thinking of creating letters that create words that create sentences that create paragraphs was very methodical and very structured which is a very masculine trait versus cave drawings and hieroglyphics and you could interpret messages via a singular image which is very feminine and so you know that that separation started to exist and in doing so just as the way i think human beings are when one thing gets revered the other thing gets shamed and so part of a woman's power back in those days was her physical body, the act of giving birth, the act of nourishing another human being. And so those things started to become shamed and vilified. And now we have this society where it's not appropriate to talk about your periods. It's not appropriate to talk about sex or your vaginas or your breasts. In fact, everything is covered up and shamed and you wear bras to smush them down and you wear underwear to like hide any smells and it's like everything about a woman's natural womanhood is is gross basically i can speak to that you know i think most women in this day and age now have this disconnect that i was talking about in the beginning of this call be with their bodies and you know, it took being in the hospital, being diagnosed with Crohn's disease for me to actually see that I was completely disconnected from my body. And once, and that spiritual journey of going back and connecting with that feminine, right? Not girly feminine, like, you know, lipstick and heels and all that, but like that mother nature, divine feminine, and infusing that into my way of being and going through practices to reconnect with her helped me reconnect with my physical body and vice versa. When I became very in tune with my physical body, specifically the female parts of me, my breasts, my vagina, my labia, the pubic hair, like all of it, when you see how much kind of uh, you have towards your own anatomy, no wonder there's this loss of power and this loss of sensuality because, you know, even though those womanly feminine things were suppressed and oppressed, it's still the thing that the guys can't handle, right? Like it's still (laughs) the thing that is like super duper sexy, but it's shamed at the same time. So we are brought up in this culture and this society of like, flaunt it, but not too much. Be empowered, but don't use your body. And like, there's just this constant dichotomy and, I am in the process now of like forgetting all of those rules and letting my body express herself the way she wants to, not the way I think 
she's supposed to. And it starts so young, right? Like as women, we are taught how not to get pregnant. And that is don't have sex or get on the birth control pill. There's a little, little anatomy maybe that you get shown, like this is a Venus and this is a vagina, but you don't get taught about why you have menstrual cycles till really late. You know, a lot of women, when they start trying to conceive, they actually have to look up ovulation and when the perfect time to get pregnant is, you know, where it's like, we should know all this information when we're young women to know that that information is just so powerful and it just gets suppressed and suppressed. And then when you, when you're doing fertility treatment, I would say like 90% of women doing fertility treatment have a full-time job. They schedule around their job and their other commitments to do IVF, which is an insane emotional physical procedure that lasts a really long fucking time. I mean, I used to get up at 6am to drive to the clinic, get my blood work done, drive straight to work, work an eight hour day. And it's just like, no wonder my body was like, this is not working for me. And I'm not saying you have to be like a Buddhist monk to get pregnant. We all know that that's not true. But when you are dealing with fertility issues, you do have to realize it's highly unlikely you're going to be the one who can be super stressed to the max and get pregnant, even with fertility treatment. It's really, you really have to take a step back. And then I think like this whole not knowing your body and knowing your power and trusting your intuition and, you know, believing that that's what you were born. Like you say, like women were born to have other babies. That was our job in nature, right? And to be the carer and be the hub of the family. And I think women still are, but you have to work a fucking 80 hour work week on top of that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we definitely don't live in a, in a society that um, supports a woman in her natural state, mm-hmm. right? And, and we could probably talk for another podcast about like feminism and the, you know, the rise of feminism. And I am a self-proclaimed feminist, but I think that us trying to be like men back to that masculine way of being, of being the high ranking CEO and being, you know, working the eight hour work week and all of that. I'm not saying women shouldn't be at all. In fact, it's amazing that we are, yet it's very time consuming. It's one dominant way of being. The type Mm -hmm. of energy and mental state and physical demand to climb the corporate ladder is not the same energy that is required to become pregnant and be with your body and nurture a family home. It's just, one is not better than the other. They're just different. And so, yeah, like you said, scheduling IVF sessions in between your 40 hour work week is adding to that masculine way of being. It's not fostering that beingness, right? That that um that mama right that like mother that oak tree that is being it is rooted and allowing things to come into you uh, pun intended tap <laughs> <laughs> into the different side of life the feminine way of being a whole new world opens up for you 
a whole new world and a relationship with your body and a relationship with your time, a relationship with your purpose in life. It's really just this, it's like a whole other world, like Wizard of Oz became color. Like it's literally an entire different planet. Yeah, 100%. So most of your work has been really with pregnancy and after birth. Have you noticed a big trend of the wear and the tear of a woman's body physically and mentally when they haven't really taken that time to slow down during one of the most amazing and underrated activities or events in our lives? You know, like when you're pregnant now, like back in the day, like you were the goddess, you got taken care of, you, you know, they waited hand and foot on you, you had, and it wasn't the men doing it, it was your sisters and your aunties and your, we don't, like, we don't have that anymore. And it's not anyone's fault, that's just how we became. And it's not the men's fault that they don't know how to take care of us. But we don't even know how to take care of ourselves. We don't even know. So, so when people don't take care of their health, physically and mentally, they get pregnant, they have the baby. What are kind of the aftermath that you see? Usually, and everyone is different, but if there isn't that presence of body during the process, and when we overthink things or things should be this way, when people should on themselves, and when people are trying to analyze the process versus feeling the process, whether it's during pregnancy and definitely in the act of giving birth, there is, again, a, a continuation of that disconnect of the body. And in such a vulnerable physical and emotional mental state of being postpartum, it creates a feeling of helplessness, of, of a feeling of disability that starts to manifest in the physical body itself. So women who aren't connected with themselves and with their female community, right? Like you were saying, the sisters and the aunties, they have a higher incidence of bladder leakage. They have a higher incidence of pelvic pain. They have a higher incidence of dyspareunia, which is the fancy medical term for pain with penetration, or they can't return to having sex without pain. There's an ongoing, it, it can manifest not just in the vagina and pelvic region, but it can manifest as headaches, jaw pain, low back pain that doesn't go away, a feeling like something's missing, a feeling like I should be happier. It's not just a physical thing, but I am a physical therapist, so that is my expertise. But over the decade that I've been working with that population, I think providing that safe space for a woman to work through those emotions with a, another woman and to have that hands-on contact with her physical body while we're discussing emotions helps to bridge and reconnect her to her body and therefore connect her to her family and that, that sense of being who she is. Mm -hmm. And so it's both a physical manifestation and an emotional journey. Um, and then to add on that, I think, again, because of this demand to hurry up and get back to work, and our government only gives us six weeks of paid maternity leave, which is absolutely ridiculous in my mind, because it takes six weeks for the physical body to actually heal. Not to mention, you know, the emotional stress and caring for an infant. And then if you have another kid and then your marriage and like 
all the other things that are going on at that time. Physical tissues take six to eight weeks to heal in a healthy body that is getting the sleep that it needs, that isn't having rages of hormones and all the other things that a postpartum female has. In doing so also, we have this expectation to hurry up and lose the baby weight, hurry up and get back to exercise. And the women who don't give themselves that full six weeks to actually let their physical tissues heal again, have more incidence of prolapse, which is where organs kind of fall down and potentially out of the vagina, more incidence of back pain and tailbone pain, hip pains, hip tears. The body's just not ready for the demands that we put on it. Yeah, 100%. And so what can we do when we're dealing with infertility? You know, our sexuality kind of almost gets beaten down a little bit more, right? Sex becomes a chore, Um, very time rigid. If you're doing fertility treatment, you know, sex isn't even really on the card. You feel kind of, you know, you don't have your power because it's been taken away. You know, you have sticks up your vagina, eggs are taken out and all that stuff. So what, what are a few tips that you can give the listeners to hone in on their own sexuality themselves while they're going through these issues? First, I would say that your sexuality is your power and your body is the source of that. And finding moments outside of actual sex to connect to your sexuality is huge. And some of the little ways that you can do that is by tuning into your five senses, right? Your physical messengers. So touch, smell, taste, sound, and sight. Put yourself in positions or appreciate moments where something feels good. Not emotionally, but literally in your body. The warmth of the sun, right? As you feel it on your skin. And literally take a moment to be like, oh, that feels really good. And let that bathe you for that 20 seconds. Or when you're eating, you know, a peach or a strawberry or a piece of just delicious fruit, like really feel how delicious and sweet and juicy it is in your mouth. When you see a beautiful flower or a sunset, like really connecting that and feeling where that beauty feels in your body is an act of sexuality and sensuality. And so connecting with that side of yourself outside of sex helps to reframe you and that your body and your vagina is not just for your partner's penis to impregnate you to have a baby, right? That's, that's such a medical way of looking at things. So when you allow yourself to experience your body's sensation and your connection to pleasure through your five senses, you'll probably turn around and look at the act of sex different. And that sex is a form of expressing your sensuality and of honoring your body. And when you can approach it that way, that this is an opportunity for me to experience pleasure in my body in a very specific way and allow that to be expressed through you in whatever way it is, I think that reframe will make it seem less of a chore because it is your powerful expression that is being manifested through the sex. It's not uh, your duty. (laughs) 
<laughs> right. Yeah. It's not I mean, infertility, it does. It feels like a duty, like you have to perform. And I know there's times where I'm like, oh my God, my husband's going away for three days. I'm going to ovulate. I know I'm going to ovulate in those three days. So we have to have sex really quick because he's about to leave for work. Okay, what position gets him off the most? <laughs> you know, and it's just like, oh totally. my God, like, oh, like life is supposed to be created, right? It's a crazy old thing. I think we can sit here and talk all day to each other. I absolutely adore you, Nikki. Tell the listeners where they can connect with you because you really help women reconnect with their body at every single stage of infertility, fertility, pregnancy, after pregnancy. You are all about, you know, just waking us up and getting us comfortable with our vagina. So let us know where we can follow you. Yes, I would love that. Yeah, you can find me at my website, of course, which is drnikkicohen.com. You can follow me on Instagram at drnikkicohen.com. I also have a YouTube channel if you want to start. It's mostly more pelvic floor physical therapy, pee, poop, and sex stuff, but feel free to educate yourself for free and watch those videos. That is also drnikkicohen.com, or not .com, just drnikkicohen. Um, and of course on the website, um, there's a contact page or you can DM me on Instagram. If you have any personal questions about yourself, I am more than happy to hop on a phone call with you and, and see if there's any way I can help you. Yeah, hundred percent. And I'm sure anyone listening with Crohn's as well, I'm sure they can contact you with any tips and advice because it's a big thing and people do miss that disconnect when you do have a big issue like that, that, that impacts your fertility or can do. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much again, Dr. Nikki. It's been a pleasure and I am sure we will reconnect soon and talk more about vaginas at a later state. (laughs) (laughs) Pleasure is all mine, Monica. Thank you for having me. Thank you once again for tuning in to the Finding Fertility podcast. If you're loving this podcast, please leave us a rating and review and let us know how this podcast is supporting you to get steps closer to creating your dream family. I hope you have a beautiful weekend and we will see you next Friday for another episode of the Finding Fertility podcast.